Well, you can be seated for just a moment, and uh, we're going to receive communion here in just a second. And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I want you to think about this, and it'll tie into a little bit of what we're sharing this morning. And uh, how many like it when God keeps you out of difficulties? Amen. That's always good, huh, when He keeps you out. But how many know it's better when He gets you through? Amen. And so many times that's where faith is. So this morning as we receive communion, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and uh, let me find the verse that I want, the scripture, yeah, verse 23, Paul writes and says, for I received from the Lord that which was also delivered, which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed. Now think about that. On the same night in which he was betrayed, he offers up his life and declares the covenant that he's making with us. Think about that. And that he, he betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Somebody say new covenant. New covenant. Now say in his blood. In his so that means it's a done deal. Amen? It's set. It's written in blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he come. So he died for our redemption. And I said last week when we talked about covenant that God ordained in himself. He created. Paul said, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered in the heart of man. All the things that God has prepared, what? For those who love him. Amen? So God, before eternity, he created us with eternity in mind. It was so great that what he has for us, that he purposed before he ever created, to be able to redeem us to that. And so part of what we're taking here today is that God ordained that the body of his son, go ahead and lift that one. I need a cup there, Marsha. Grab that. Thank you, sweetheart. That the body of his son will be given for us, that he would declare his covenant to us, that Jesus Christ would be the covenant atoning sacrifice for you and I. When we remember communion, we remember our redemption. Amen. That God has redeemed us to himself, for himself, into what he prepared for us before he ever created. Come on, God is just too good. Hallelujah. And so we're redeemed into this. But at the same time, this is his vow to you. And the seriousness of this is, as Paul writes, that we're supposed to examine ourselves. Because you're making a vow. When you enter into a covenant, this is literally what you said. Old Testament covenant was this. There was shedding of blood there. And what it meant in covenant, that if I don't keep my word, it's not a matter where God keeps his word. It's if I don't keep my word and my vow then whatever was done to this sacrifice can be done to me. So that's why they would take the animal, they would split it in two, and then you would walk through that blood declaring, may this be done to me and more if I ever go back on my word. You know, if we ever started living for the Lord like that, it'd change everything. Amen. Well, I think we'll just split you in two and walk down the middle of you. People, I don't know if I'm ready for that. But, it, uh, but that's what covenant is. It is so serious. But when God vows like that to us, and we vow like that to him, then I was thinking the woman with the, who was bent over, 
and bound for 18 years. Jesus went into church and healed her. He didn't ask her if she believed. He didn't ask her if she wanted to be healed. She said she is a covenant daughter. And this is her right in covenant. So this morning as we receive communion together, go ahead, ushers, and get the elements ready. As we receive this communion together, you're in covenant with God. You have a covenant with God. If you've made your vow, I'm not telling you just playing church or doing whatever. If you've made a vow, Christianity doesn't work for people who play it. It's not, this is life and death stuff. If you've given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and you are living by your vow to Him, then He keeps His word to you. And you have a right to expect to receive. Amen? Because the same way Jesus said, this woman is a daughter in the seed of Abraham, and she has a covenant right to be healed. When he said that, he said, she is a daughter of Abraham. She has a covenant right to be healed. You have a covenant right. So this morning, as you receive communion, I want you to believe in your heart that you're able to receive everything God has vowed in his covenant to you because he sealed it in the blood of his son. Amen. Father, we thank you today for the covenant that we have with you through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In His name, amen. You know, I always love taking communion because it reminds me of this, that God's a personal God. And then besides that, He's an inside God, not an outside God. We take the elements into our body the same way we accept His life in us. Amen? He's given us His life. We're carriers, amen, of His life. You know, this... This morning we read about Daniel, we used Daniel, but Nebuchadnezzar just made this declaration. He says, the spirit of the living God lives in you. Wow. God lives in us. Amen. So this morning, that's what we're remembering. But the power of this is in the power of a vow. Of God vowing to us and you and I making our vow to him. So Father, today we come in the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, before you created us, you set your love upon us to redeem us. And you chose to do it by giving the body and shedding the blood of your Son. That we might be reconciled back to you and made partakers of your life. So Father, today we vow our lives to you. We give our life to you the same way you have given our lives to us. We vow to live for you, to honor you, and to glorify you in our bodies. You said that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Therefore, glorify God in our bodies. So today we vow to live in a way that honors you and glorifies you in our lives and in our bodies. And we thank you that through your brokenness, we receive wholeness, health, strength, healing, every need and necessity for our body and our life is met in Christ and we thank you for it in Jesus name would you receive the bread with me hallelujah and father today we thank you that your word isn't just spoken, but it's sealed. You didn't just speak your word, you sealed your word with the blood of your son. You shed blood to declare that you meant it. 
and you didn't shed the blood of animals. You shed the blood of your only begotten Son. And by virtue of the blood, we have been declared righteous. The blood of Christ has become our covering. Father, we thank you today. We don't have to stand or perform to be righteous. We are covered by the blood. We are forgiven. We are cleansed, made whole, justified, and declared righteous through the blood of your Son. So, Father, we will live not to do, as your word says in Hebrews, not to do spite to the blood that saved us and sanctified us, not to trot it underfoot, but, Father, to honor you. And we thank you that through these stripes that shed this blood, we are the healed and the redeemed of the Lord. In Jesus' name. Would you receive the cup with me? All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, let's open up to Daniel chapter 1. Did you bring your Bibles today? Amen. Praise God. Somebody flip the lights on back there under the overhang. Those that sat in darkness saw a great light. There we go. Hallelujah. Amen. Come on, declare this with me. This is my Bible. I live by its truth. I walk in its light. I rest in its promises. I'm empowered by its love. I overcome by the faith produced from receiving this seed sown into my heart. Father, I thank you today for your word that is alive, it is quick, it is powerful. It changes us, it transforms us, and it conforms us into the image of your Son. Father, we purpose to be a people of your word, to hear it, to receive it, and to live by it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So, let me just give you this announcement. This Sunday, Mark... uh, 1,635 Sundays that we've been pastoring this church. Amen. Somebody posted the other day, I saw a post, somebody counted up all the Sundays. I said, well, I wonder how many Sundays we've been doing this. I said, man, we beat them by about double, so praise the Lord. But this is uh, 1,635 Sundays. Amen. To be here at the church. Isn't that awesome? Amen. That's way cool. So we're excited about that. And we're looking for another 1,635. I'll be, uh, what will I be? Amen. I'll be older than I am now. Amen. But God's good. Amen. Hallelujah. So this morning we want to kick this off and uh, this year. And uh, I really felt that the Lord would, would challenge us this morning in this area, especially in connection to covenant that we have with him and maybe to see it in a different area. And uh, so in Daniel chapter 1, we're not going to read all six chapters, but this lesson this morning is coming out of the first six chapters of Daniel. And the key is the influence of one. And I wasn't going to put 2001 on there, but this I said, I thought, man, that's so good. One with one, 2001. So here we go. So what influence could you have as one person in this year? What kind of influence could you have as one person for the Lord this year? And so we're going to look at the influence, Daniel, as one man in a heathen country under heathen leadership, unsaved, uncovenant, in captivity, hello, became an influencer for the glory of God. And that's how God wants to work in your life. That's how he desires to work in each and every one of our lives. And when we truly live in the understanding of the covenant that we have with him, then we're not bound by the circumstances that are around us. Are you doing all right? And we believe for God to show up in those areas there. So let's read, I do want to read chapter 1 with you. And so let's go through this. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. 
And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed, instructed Ashephanez, never name your child that, okay? And uh, the master of his eunuchs to bring some of the children to Israel, of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. Young men in whom there was no blemish but good looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand. Who had ability to serve the king's palace in the king's palace whom, and whom they might teach. Somebody say might teach. Now watch this, the language and literature of the Chaldean. And the king appointed them for daily provision of the king's delicacies, of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time, somebody say at the end of that time, so it's important, that they might serve before the king. Now from among those sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave name. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel, watch it. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. And that's why I'm challenging you. To live for God, you have to purpose in your heart how you're going to serve the Lord. Amen. Especially this year and in the future moving forward. You're going to have to live by purpose and on purpose. Amen. And it has to be set in your heart. But Daniel purposed in his heart that we not defile himself. Watch this. With the portion of the king's jealousies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuch that he might not defile himself. Now God brought Daniel into favor and goodwill with the chief of the unit. So God did what? Brought Daniel into favor. So here Daniel in this situation, and because he won't purpose himself, what's happening? He's walking in favor. All right. That'll sink in as we go. Verse 10, and the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my Lord King who has appointed your food and drink for why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. And Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days and let them give us vegetables to eat. And water to drink. Then let our countenances be examined before you, and the countenance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servant. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them ten days. At the end of ten days, their countenance appeared better. Somebody say better. And fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them the veg- gave them vegetables. Now watch this. And, for, and as for these young men, God gave them. Somebody say, God gave them. Knowledge and skill and all literature and wisdom and Daniel had understanding, <coughs> excuse me, and visions and dream. Now at the end of the days when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them and among them 
all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the musicians and astrologers who were in his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. And that reference there means that through four kings, Daniel's influence continued under four kings, under four different administrations of political rule and government. Daniel walked in the favor of God and had influence in that realm. So what is the influence that you and I could have in our day? Look at your outline with me. Every generation faces the same challenge as the one before them. They must choose what will be the standard for their life. What will they use as the foundation for truth to build their lives and their futures upon? Every generation. My generation, your generation, young people, I'm just the oldest one in your generation. Amen. Come on, we're alive, we're in this season, we're in this generation together. Generation, they say 10 years, 40 years, however you want to do it, but a generation. I believe for us, it's those who are alive right now. Each of us has been faced with that very same choice. We have to choose what our foundation is going to be. Our parents in their day made the choice for their life and for their generation. But this is our day and this is our generation. How many would agree? And so we have to choose what's our standard. We all live under governmental control and policies and everything else like that. But what is our standard? When it comes to making the choice, there are only two directions that we can go. You can go the way of the world or you can go the way of the word. You can either live by the dictates, the standards, and the policies of this world, and all the ideas, everything, whether it's good or bad, however you want to view it. Or you can just say, you know what, I think I'll just live by the word of God and just stay with the word. Amen? See, it's my belief that every generation, in every generation, God has looked for those who would choose the way of the word. Men and women who would refuse to be influenced and re-identified. You are constantly trying to be programmed and re-identified. As soon as this comes along, we have a virus now, and so now we're being told to accept the new normal. And I preached to you last week, I don't want a new normal. I want to live by the true normal of God's word and God's truth. Amen? And so men and women who would refuse to be influenced and re-identified by the world and stay true to their conviction and not be defiled by the way of the world, men and women who would choose to be true to their God even in the face of death. Amen? Well, I want to be a Christian, just not that much. Not if it means I have to make hard choices and deal with all that. But watch what happens here. So what can God do in the lives of those who will not compromise? We read it in Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Men who will not learn the ways of the world. Men who will not acquire a taste for the delicacies of the king. What did Daniel say? I don't want to learn to like that stuff. I don't, want to, I don't need to eat that. I don't need to drink that. I don't even want to learn what it tastes like. Are you doing all right? I want you to hear me today. One of the hardest things to do is to purge from our lives the things that we have acquired a taste for. Once you get it, once you taste, it's really hard to put it down once you have acquired a taste for it, even if it's bad for your physical well-being. Amen. 
People get it, you get an acquire, and most things you have to acquire a taste for. Amen. I'll use one example, smoking. Smoking is an acquired. Nobody ever smoked their first cigarette and said, man, that's awesome. I can't wait to have another one. No, you hacked your lungs out. <laughs> oh, let me do that again. Let, let me acquire a desire. So that's just one area. Are you doing all right? It doesn't matter what it is. I, I put it like alcohol doesn't even taste good. So there's so many things. Uh, so I, I never used to like cheese. I now have acquired a taste for cheese. Most people, President Bush, the senior, didn't like broccoli. He said, I want broccoli in the White House. I don't want it on Air Force One. I want broccoli anywhere. He said, I hate broccoli. Amen. So it never acquired that. So it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's things that are detrimental to our health and, and can be hazardous to our life, or whether it's things that actually are vegetables that are good for kids. Look at kids. You try to get them to like different things, and they push you away from them. They won't try and you had to get them to acquire a taste for it. But the things that we do acquire a taste for, once that happens, it's really hard to get rid of them. Think of every indulgence in your life. Not anybody else, just in your life. All the indulgences that each of us have, everybody's individual. Think of how we, we, we can look at those. We look at that. I don't need to do that. I shouldn't be doing that. I mean, I struggle. How many besides me struggle with sugar? And they tell me, man, you could lose a lot of weight if you just give up sugar. I said, yeah, I could do a lot of other stuff too. <laughs> Amen. So every indulgence, every addiction that people acquire, think about it. Everyone is an acquired taste over time. We acquire a taste over time, and we get used to it, and then it's really hard to give that up. The purpose behind, watch this, what about food? Look at, every time we start talking about fasting, people do the Fred Sanford thing. <laughs> so, but many of those things, watch what happens. Many of those things... The purpose behind them is to re-identify you. You're different than you were before. They change you. They give you a different identity. Their purpose is, watch, is at the end of that time to qualify you to serve before the king of this world. See, what they did, they, they said, we'll bring these people in, and then we're going to get them to have an acquired taste and likes for the things of the king's court so they will be qualified to serve the world. Are you doing all right? And so the, you're constantly being trying to be conditioned to have an acquired taste to serve the world. Then God comes and says, hey, you know what? Taste and see that the Lord is good. And he wants you to taste the things of the kingdom. He wants, you to be, he, he wants your taste to, to be acclimated to his word and his life. Amen. And so it's so important for us to get that. So the king chose young men to be trained before him. I want you to hear this so importantly. The devil has always done that. Our culture has been transitioned by us too easily allowing the world to educate our children. What's happened in our culture, what you're seeing coming in America today is the fruition of the enemies of this nation who said we will take this nation without ever firing a shot because we will reach young people and we will train them 
and we will teach them our philosophies. We will instill these things in them when they are young. The Bible says, watch this. See, see the devil knows the word and uses the word. Proverbs says this. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. So where do they want gender identity study uh, 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 teaching to begin? In preschool. They, they, they want children three years old and five years old to question their identity. And, and so all that is conditioning so that when they grow up, they'll be able to serve the king of this world. They, they will have been trained and given an acquired taste for the things. Are you doing all right this morning? And so it is there. So how do we have an influence there? So watch it. So they were to be put before a three-year re-identification process. They were to be trained in the culture of their surroundings. They were to be renamed, re-educated, and re-influenced to serve the wishes of the king. You're being indoctrinated every day. Do this. This has been the craziest year that I've ever seen. I still am amazed. You know, instead of people just take and do what they're told. And, and I don't mean this in a wrong way, but in dealing with this, can, can I just remind you, and, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here in dealing with this, but when I go out and I see people walking around with masks on in open air and everything like that, this is not an airborne virus. It's not fog. <laughs> but people are just blindly, they're, they're, watch, they're, they've been conditioned to serve the king of this world, and they're just blatantly going, they've been so conditioned to accept what they're told and to do this, and they're living by the way of the world instead of the way of the word. And then I started looking at it, you read the Bible, and people go, well, nobody would ever, you could never get the whole world to take the mark of the beast. Oh, well, they were taking the mark of the mask. Amen, I'm just saying. And they say, well, but, oh, oh, oh. Obey the science. I said I will as soon as there is some. Amen. So watch this. So anyway, they were renamed, re-educated, re-influenced to serve the wishes of the king. Why? They were chosen because of their potential. I want you to keep that in mind about young people. Parents, some of the best things that's happened is that we're now educating our own kids. For a little bit. I know it's a challenge. I know it's hard and dealing with all that. But at least you get to be the main voice back in the lives of your children and somebody else indoctrinating them instead of somebody else indoctrinating with the mindset of this world. Amen. So they were chosen by their potential. They were clean. They were good looking. They were innocent. They were gifted. They were intelligent and quick to understand. The purpose of choosing them, watch this, was to train them up in the way that they should go. Proverbs 22. The devil is patient and will take his time. They said, we will do this and within a generation or two, we will take them over. And we will destroy America without ever firing a shot. Let me tell you, the most important election that, that America never faced wasn't President Trump's election. It's now the election taking place in Georgia. Because if the Senate flips and, 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 and the liberals get, get their way to go, then everything about our nation is going to change. In a heart, There'll be no restraint. Because all three branches of government will have the same mindset. Are you doing all right? It'd be an interesting day. So if you want to pray, I'd be praying in that area. Amen? So watch this. The purpose of choosing them was to train them up. The devil's patient. The goal of the king, watch this, was to touch their palate with the sweet taste of his delicacies and to have them develop an acquired taste for his kingdom and to forsake their heritage. 
See, when we get an acquired taste for the world in order to go that way, I have to forsake my heritage in God. Watch it. Do you know that the national t- statistic is, has been for quite a while, that 74% of our young people who go away to college end up giving up their faith? Because when they go into that arena, they are bombarded and indoctrinated by the world. And they're challenged on every level. Amen. And it is so strong. And so they they give up and then many of them come back. But there's a great challenge in that area. So think about it. But it means in this area to touch the palate. I want you to think about that. Just to touch and to give them an acquired taste. Years ago, we we heard... uh, uh, David Gibbs, uh, the, the founder of Christian Law Association, teach on this was so powerful. The, the word there also means, it means to be narrow, to choke oneself figuratively, to initiate or to discipline, to dedicate or to train up. It comes from a word that, that means in the sense of tasting properly the palate or inside of the mouth, hence the mouth itself, and it also means the roof of the mouth. So when you touch, you put it on the tip of their tongue, you let them touch it, and then they, oh, that's good. And so it has a, a promise and a sweetness to it, but the end of it is no good. How many know the Bible says that you eat it and it goes in and it tastes good, but in the end it, it makes you upset? So watch this. I'm not going to read these scriptures, but in the area of taste and what is good, those other scriptures are there. So think about that. Who are these four young men, and how is it that they are able to influence two heathen kings to believe and declare that there is no God like their God? In chapters 1 through 6, we have Daniel and then Azariah, Mishaiah, and, and uh, I can't remember all their names off the top of my head, Sam, correctly. But out of these four Hebrew young men, their circumstances caused these kings to declare that there is no other God but their God. And then to decree that every, because of their stand, that everybody would worship their God. And if they don't, they would get what the other people were supposed to, were trying to do to them. But let me put it to you like this. What happened? Daniel, first of all, is that the challenge comes for wisdom and to interpret a vision. So he interprets a vision when nobody else could. And then he gets favor with the king. And then when people find he has favor with the king, they come against him. And they make the king make a decree that you cannot pray. That you cannot pray to any other God. Look at the decrees that have come down in America that you cannot pray. And what I'm saying is that for this year and right now, the church is going to have to learn to live by this principle and have this standard in your life as a believer. Because you're going to have all kinds of mandates and dictates coming down. They're already coming down on what you can and cannot do. And you have to decide what you're going to live by. So then what happened? Daniel says, as soon as Daniel heard the decree in chapter 3, what's he do? He goes and he prays openly. He didn't hide and pray. He openly prayed, went out on his balcony, did as he always did, prayed three times. People saw him, said the king made decree. Now watch, the king loved Daniel and tried to save him and that, but Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den either way. Actually in chapter six is where I'm at. So he gets over there, but in all that situation, Daniel's in trouble. Amen? But so, and Daniel has to go in the lion's den. That's why I said, it's always nice when God keeps you out of trouble. It's even more exciting when he delivers you out of trouble. And that's something that has to change in our life. We keep wanting, oh, God, don't give me problems. Oh, God, don't give me that. And we get into a problem, and we quit looking for the answer. We forget we have a covenant with God. And so God's going to be with me wherever I am. And Darius, who tried to save him, gets down there. Oh, Daniel, are you all right? And Daniel goes, hey, yeah, man, it's all good. Me and the lions hung out tonight. It's all good. <laughs> and then watch what happened. When you stand like that, what happened to those who put Daniel in the lion's den? 
king brought them out and threw them in. And before they hit the ground, the lions tore them apart. And so if you can stand with God, what does God do to your enemies? Learning how to stand and learning how to live right. Amen? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what happened to them? I use that name because I can remember all those. But in that area, they, they get up there, and there they are. They said, we refuse to bow down because the king got the interpretation of the dream. They said, well, I'm going to make a statue for myself. Chapter 3 makes a statue for himself, requires everybody to bow down. And, and these three young men say, we will not bow. The king said, if you don't bow, I'm throwing you in. He says, whether you throw us in or whether you don't, whether you do or you don't, whether you do or you don't, we will not bow. Our God will deliver us either way. Amen? He will deliver us either way. And so they take, they, they get, the king throws them in, heat the furnace, what, seven times hotter? Amen? And as they're going in, the guys that had to throw them in, they got burned up. These guys go in. So think about that. How did these guys go in? Now, so what, think about that. The guys that were supposed to put them in the fire, they got consumed by the fire. And so that means these guys had to go in on their own, tied up and bound. They walked into the fire. They didn't turn around and say, oh, well, those guys died. We can go. No, they went in on their own. And when the king looked, he said, wait a minute. Nebuchadnezzar said, wait a minute. Didn't we throw three in? How come there's four men in there? So God wasn't on the outside keeping them out. He was on the inside preserving them. Next time you're in a trial and you think it's hot, we, we sing that song in worship. There's another in the fire. So we sing the song, there's another in the fire, and then we say, God, keep me out of the fire. God, keep me out of the fire. God, keep me out of the fire. God, keep me. Oh, Lord, protect me. Keep me out. Keep me out. Keep me out. Don't let me go through in there. Lord, keep, keep, me, keep me safe. Keep me safe. Keep me safe. Keep me safe. Well, yeah, that's good. But you're safe whether you're in or whether you're out. I said, either way, God is with us. God is with you. You need to get that down on the inside of because sometimes we give up. Why am I teaching on covenant like that? Why am I teaching on winning the battle against unbelief? Because when you alter, when, when something shifts in your faith and your belief in God, because I'm in a situation, God must not be with me. The only place he was with them was in their situation. The angel of the Lord was with Daniel in the lion. The angel of the Lord came down in the lion's den, not out of the lion's den, and shut the mouths of the lion. God showed up in the fire with them. Amen. So what? These are four men who would not allow their taste for God to be changed to an acquired taste for what the world calls its delicacies. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself. That is not how we view intermingling with the world today. That's not how the church views it. The prevailing thought in our day is that we can partake of the world's delicacies and still walk in, favor, in the favor and power of God. The church thinks today, most Christians think, I can still go in and out with the world and still walk in favor in the power of God. Because of, the, because of their lack of compromise, God brought them into favor with those who would have changed them and allowed them to have influence upon them for the glory of God. Why? These young men refused to be changed. And instead of being influenced by the world, they became world changers and world influencers. What would happen in the church today if we chose to no longer desire the delicacies of this world? Are you doing all right? How many today think that in order to be successful in the world today, that you must have a level of compromise in your life? 
that people will not accept or respect you unless you bend in some areas to be accepted. Unless you have areas of tolerance, open-minded, and relevant views, you won't be accepted. Dennis said, I'm not giving up any of my values. That's why I say this all. And here's the pressure that is used, guys. Here's the pressure that is used in your day. You're being told that if you don't compromise with the world, you don't care about people. That if you aren't following all the policies and procedures that, that are surrounded by that, that have no substantiating facts behind them. In fact, Mike came over, we were watching part of a football game the other day on Saturday, and they showed the coaches on the sideline. So the coaches are wearing masks on the sideline in order to be compliant with the regulation to wear a mask. But it's a, it's a, it's a mesh, it's a netted mesh mat. You can see, it's like a screen. But it doesn't matter what the mask is, you just had to have something on your face. But you're being told that if you don't have something on your face, you're mean and you're cruel and you don't care about people. And, and you want people to die and you want people to get sick and you're insensitive. No, I'm not insensitive, but you cannot. And, and, and a, a, just this one area, a math that has gaps around here. I don't care how hard you pinch it here. It gaps around here and you up and down. Don't stay on your nose. It's a microorganism. And you're not keeping it out and doing the best. <sighs> But you're, watch, you're being told, you're being told that you are not tolerant to the needs of others. And, and, and you're not open-minded enough about being with this and everything else. So think about that. But it's always made to f- make you feel bad and guilty about your conduct concerning others. That is always the ploy. I mean, and and it, it's the political power behind it. Look what we just told in this massive spending bill that just came down from our government. They pile all this garbage of spending and taxing us for generations to come, but they connect it to sending a stimulus check to people out of work. So if you vote against the spending, you're a bad person for not sending relief to people. Well, I'm for helping people. I'm just not for being in debt for 300 years. I'm just not for adding three more trillion dollars of debt to a $23 trillion national deficit. But, oh, no, you don't care about people. And so why? You're made to feel bad on behalf. You're, you're made a bad person because you don't care about some of your action. And so it's always manipulation and control. Are you doing all right? And then that brings you under heat and under fire, so then people back up. That's why all these politicians flop, because they don't want to be perceived as not caring for others. So they won't stand for truth, because they've tasted too much of the world's delicacy. And they're not willing to stand in the fire. So you have to have it. So what? These four men, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, served in the area of politics. They served in the area of politics under four kings and never compromised their faith or their core values. Every king they served acknowledged their God as the true and living God. They were willing to die rather than compromise. Where are you living right now? You're living in a place where you either choose one or the other. Amen. God was known as the God whom they served continually. 
Nebuchadnezzar and Darius, the God whom you serve continually, not going in and out, not being wishy-washy. What is one term that people, what is one accusation that people have had against a church and a reason for not coming? Huh? No, no, a little bit later? Too much what? There you go. I know several of you said I didn't hear it loud. But what? Too many hypocrites in the church. Too many. Because they do this, but they don't live. Let's what the king said, the God whom you serve continuously. You're not mingling with the world. You're not going in and out and mingling with the world. What did Paul rebuke Peter over? Acting one way with the Gentiles and then acting another way when the Jews showed up. So God's looking for people who just act the same all the time. Just be in Him, live for Him by His Word all the time. Could you say amen? amen. So think about that. The God whom they serve continually. Because they never lost their taste for God and they never allowed themselves to be re-identified. God was able to reveal himself to four heathen kings in the political arena and to set his men as leaders in a heathen land. God needs men of courage, men of fortitude, women of fortitude. He needs his people to be a people that will not be re-identified by this world. Watch this. They were renamed, they were re-educated, but they refused to be re-identified and to turn away from their God. As a result, they prospered in the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar of Babylon, Darius, and Cyrus of Persia. Three of those four kings decreed that their God was the God. Three out of four. God needs men of courage and women of courage and integrity to stand in this day and in this hour. Belshazzar, uh, uh, the, the son of Nebuchadnezzar, didn't. He just died. Amen. So what about our generation? What difference could we make as men and women of God? Go with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 33. Are you doing all right this morning? Second Chronicles chapter 34 and verse 33. My bad. 34-33. Speaking of Josiah. Amazing thing happened. Josiah at eight years old becomes king. Begins seeking the Lord. At 16 they find the word, the, 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 the law. They're cleaning out the temple. It's amazing when you've got to dig through church to find the Bible. Anyway. So Josiah reestablishes the word of God as a standard for his people. Verse 33, thus Josiah removed all the abominations from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel and made all who were present in Israel diligently serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. Watch this. Remember what I said to you last week about you have a covenant with God for you and for your seed? This always goes back to this. God always honors the covenant with the fathers. They go back to, to walking in covenant with God. And so the covenant that God made with Abraham, with Isaac and Jacob, and Jacob's name being changed to Israel. Israel is in covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they're partaking of that. Are you doing all right? 
And so the same thing for our seed. There, there's a promise and a covering over our seed in our covenant with God. Think about it. The goal of God, of the God of this world, has always been re-identification. Has always been, this world is always working to re-identify you with it. That your identity is in the world, not in God. That's why we struggle. People say it like this. We tease about my pastor, and he was my pastor for 34 years, and that before he went to be at the Lord. But uh, a guy named Glenn Rayner that went to our church there would always tease Brother Hood. say, Brother Hood, you have just one message. You just preach it a thousand different ways. It was this. Let go of the world. Grab hold of God. Every decision you make is to let go of the world and grab hold of God. Amen. In our prayer time today, I did it. People said, well, what if I let go? Matthew chapter 4, Jesus walking by the sea came up to Peter, James, and John and said, hey, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers and men. It says immediately they left their boats and their nets and followed him. Later in life, uh, later on as they're walking after the rich young ruler came, then they, they, uh, he's being asked to give up everything he has and follow the Lord and uh, put God first in his life. And then the disciples come, Lord, we've given up everything to follow you. We let go of everything to grab hold of you. We let go of everything to grab hold of you. Look what Jesus said. Nobody has forsaken anything that it shall not be restored to him in this life a hundredfold. So I can have on to what I have and just have that, or I can let it go and grab hold of God and live in his provision and abundance in my life. Amen. I'm not a smart man. That just sounds like good math to me. Hold, hold, on, hold on to what you got in your hand. Or grab hold of everything that he has in his kingdom. Hold on to what you build in your little life and your little kingdom with your little abilities and your little power and your little strength and your little might and your little wisdom. Or grab hold of all that God is and all that he has. Easy choice. The problem is it's just hard to let go. Because this, I've learned how to do this. I have an acquired taste for this. This is easy for me. It's natural for me. I like it. Over here, this is new territory. I have to learn again. I have to trust. Amen? I have to do stuff that isn't comfortable to do. This is comfortable even though it produces a little, little bit. All right. We're doing all right? So what? The devil wants you to let go of who you are in Christ to attain position, possessions, and purpose in life. His promise is you'll have position, you'll have possession, and you'll have purpose in your new identity. While the devil comes with the promise of who you can become through a changed identity, God comes to reveal who you already are in Christ. I don't have to become somebody new. I already am in him. Are you doing all right? Jesus comes to reveal who we are in him, not who we can become in him. Watch it. So think about that. Re-identification is replaced with true identity. You have a true identity in God. Man is always looking for better methods and equipment. Well, God is just looking for better men. I believe in 2021, this is the year when God's going to find some better men and women. Amen? Better people rising up saying yes to God. He does not anoint our methods and equipment. He anoints us. I love all the stuff we use. And, you know, we get to do new stuff and do all that. Thank God for all the, all the extras. All the stuff. Stuff's cool. But there's no anointing on any of it. God doesn't anoint any of it. 
He only anoints us. He only places his presence, his life in us. Amen? Hallelujah. But think about this. Let me just help you. God won't share his identity with you. He won't fight with you. He won't get in there and be schizophrenic with you. I am. No, I'm not. No, I am. No, I'm not. He'll go, I'll just wait over here until you figure out who you want to be. Doing all right? So what? Josiah was a young man who became king under the pending threat of God's judgment. There was a word that came, the prophetess came to, 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 to Josiah and said, this is what's going to happen in a year. This is what's going to happen in a year. This is destruction and the judgment that's coming in a year. And Josiah led the nation of Israel into repentance and restoration of their walk with God and covenant with him. And he reigned for almost 40 years. And that year turned into almost 40 years. But as soon as he was gone and people went back to the way of the world, judgment came. Amen? So what? Josiah was a young man who came king under the penalty of his judgment for the sins of his grandfather and his father. Watch that. That's why I said last week. If God can impose judgment for the sins of our fathers, he can impose righteousness for the sins. You doing all right? Has to be equal. But he chose his true identity in God. Like Josiah, we can by choice. Bill, if you come back to the keyboard. We can by choice live for God without compromise. We can by choice live for God without compromise. We can live in peace and lead our generation in serving the Lord. Do you know what we need today? We need men and women who are just going to choose to lead and to live for God. Amen. Not everybody's going to like you. And I, I'm, I say this stuff all the time, and I mean it with as much sincerity as I can. I like people. But if you don't like me because I'm living for God, I could care less. I really could from that standpoint. because God does, And so we're so caught up that everybody has to like you. No, they don't. No, they don't. In fact, you can't even make that happen. Good luck trying. You're going to be a mess. Because you're constantly trying to meet, trying to, oh, I don't, I don't want them, I don't want them, I don't want them. Even while you're trying to, they're still mad at you. Are you doing all right? And so they go, ah. And well, 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 then you're insensitive. Well, call me insensitive. I don't care. The greatest way you can care for people is to not compromise truth. The greatest thing you can do for your children is to teach them the truth. The greatest thing you can do for your children is not be their friend, be their parent. I want my kids to like me. Sorry. While you're trying to make me like them and give them everything they want so they will like you, they just keep throwing more fits to get you to... They'll like you when they're older. Maybe. But they don't need a friend. They need a parent. They need a parent. 
They don't need our indulgences. They need truth and they need standards. They need boundaries. They need protection. Are you doing all right? And that's what God gives to us. Are you doing okay? And so in this area, but in walking with the world, we're trying. Well, G- Jesus said something very interesting. Listen to this. We keep trying, even with our own family. We keep trying to, to keep everybody in our family happy. Listen to what Jesus said. Do you think I came to bring peace? I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword, and I came to bring division. And your enemies will be those of your own household. Because I came to make there be a decision between a husband and a wife, a father and a son, a mother and a daughter, and all the way down the line, a a, a son-in-law and a daughter and a father-in-law and in-laws and everything else. God said, because I'm asking people to live by my word and live by my identity that I have for them and who I gave my son for them to be. Are you doing okay? None of that's popular in your culture today. Nobody from pulpits really says that today. And dealing with that. But that's the truth. And so, but the problem is though, but the world has tested our tongue. We, we've had, we have acquired taste to make everybody happy. You've been told, they've been telling you, they've re-identified you and conditioned you to make everybody happy. Walking in love. I love everybody. I don't care what your choices are, doing everything else. I just won't let your choices be mandated upon my life. That's what Daniel and the three Hebrew children said. That's fine. That's the world. You can do But we're not going to submit ourselves to that. And if it means we get thrown in a lion's den, if it means we go in the fire, we know who will be there with us and we will come out on the other side and God will give us the glory and God will get the glory for it. Are you doing all right? But it means I, ha- I can't be afraid of the fire and I can't be afraid of the lions. Amen? That's why David wrote Psalms 23. I think it should be banned from ever being read at funerals again. Because it's not a psalm of death, it's a psalm of life. The Lord is our shepherd here. Now, Yea, though I walk through what? I will what? For what? Your rod that comfort me. So God goes with it. So even though when we have to walk through that valley of shadow of death, God's with us through that season. Amen? And he brings us out on the other side. So that's how we're called to live. This is going to be a great year. But we have to purpose not to be educated and identified and to acquire a taste for this world. And once we do, because the hardest thing is, is to break it. So I'm excited for what God has in store. Would you stand with me this morning?